0: Here's Spironi, who rolls the ball out to Cannon,
3: he's got options in front of him, he picks out Thomas, this is a nice looking move from Palace, that's a neat ball to Ambrose, let space on the right, good turn, he crosses into Johnson, oh yes, back of the nest.
0: Hi all, so if we must, let's do this. Two huge defeats in eight days, and dreams of Wembley for Palace fans shattered. Still, let's make the best of it and dissect the game against Watford and look ahead at what is next for the Eagles for the rest of the season. I'm your host, Mike Scott, and joining me are Comrade Chris and Christopher Hamblin, who will doubtless have a lot to say. Join us right after this.
1: Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. <laughs> www.backofthenest.com. Away
2: days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
0: Okay, so, um,. I've got to say, first of all, that instead of there being four of us, as usual, there are only three of us today. DR could not be present. Um, There is a very pressing kebab related problem in Thornton Heath and he gives his apologies. He said that there are 300 sheesh kebabs need cooking and they take a bit longer than the usual Donna kebabs plus the fact he has to make his own hummus, which obviously is a time-consuming process. So we have no DR today, um, but we will speak about him a bit later and some of the comments he's had uh, after the game. But we do have two two fine gentlemen with us. Uh, we have Comrade Chris, and how are you doing, Chris? Uh, pretty downbeat, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. <laughs> How was how was your day up in uh, Watford yesterday?
3: Oh, it's a complete nothing town, isn't it? Um, you know, I mean, we, we had good fun, but just only really despite, one, the performance, and two, the fact that, you know, they wouldn't let us have beer, they wouldn't let us uh, bring all of the banners and drums and all that, all that fun stuff that we wanted to bring. But, you know, we still outsung them comprehensively, um, I'm not so sure we can be proud of what happened on the pitch, but we can be proud of what we as fans did. So I'm taking some small consolation in that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It did. It did sound pretty damn impressive uh, from here as a plastic fan on the TV. Uh, and our usual presenter, Christopher Hamblin, is today in the panel seat. So how are you doing, Chris? I'm,
2: I'm all right. I'm not as downbeat as Chris by the sounds of it. Um, you know, i've I've had a, I've had a busy week, and I've not been paying that much attention to football. But obviously, have engaged during the game and wish that I didn't. But um, you know what? Sometimes it's better to take your mind off it and sort of get involved in other stuff, which was mainly work related this week.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, you've you've done the right thing there. I would like to say I'd done the same, but I haven't. Um, I was absolutely gutted yesterday, as I'm sure many of the people listening were I still haven't got over last week I gotta say I haven't I've managed to avoid watching Knockhart's goal again a single time Um, but I have re-seen the uh, the details of the game yesterday and I'm still fairly gutted so I probably should have done something different with my weekend as well but what can you do Uh, okay so what we're going to chat about first is uh, a few of the usual housekeeping things that we talk about but this week we've got a very special housekeeping announcement to make, and that is about the football blogging awards. Now, um, these are well a bit like a bit like uh, the Big Mac advert, um, telling you that it's pretty much what it says on the tin. They are, in fact, football blogging awards. And we are up for Best Football Pod. So um, it is a vote-based thing. And as we usually ask you to give us a five-star review on iTunes, which you you can still do. You can still do that if you want to do both things. If you want to be charitable, that's great. Um, But this week, we're going to ask you to vote for us in the Football Blogging Awards. And uh, Mikey, who often produces the show, uh, although it's sound today, uh, has asked us to point out that at the moment, a Spurs podcast has started very strongly. And he has asked us to remind people that we don't really want a Spurs podcast to win. Uh, although, let's be honest, they're unlikely to. They'll probably end up finishing second, third or fourth. But right. uh, we're, we're here. Uh, there's several ways to vote. Uh, and the easiest way is to go on to backofthenest.com. Uh, and there's a lovely little yellow vote box on the homepage. You don't need to enter your name or your email. Just click submit. Um it's nice and easy. The same with Twitter. If you go on our Twitter page, Back of the Nest, you'll see a pinned tweet at the top of our page on how to uh, how to vote for us there. Many people have. Thank you very much for those who've already done it. And on Instagram, you can go to instagram.com forward slash Football Blogging Awards. and there's a best podcast icon. You just tag us in there. Um, this is all, I, I feel a bit cheeky asking for this, but uh, it's all very helpful. If you can do that, it would mean a lot. Um, we haven't resorted to, you know, claiming money or asking money off people for stuff or anything like that. We're, but the odd bit of um slapping would be very much appreciated. So anyone that's done that, thank you. Anyone that is going to do it, thank you. And if you don't want to vote for us, please make sure you vote for FYP. That is, of course, tongue in cheek. Uh, right. So uh, that is all the housekeeping. So let's get on to the real topics. Uh, we're going to cover something quickly. Um, that I think has been covered fairly heavily by various other people, including the Preview Pod. But uh, let's quickly touch on AWB uh, not being in the England squad. Hambo, what do you make of it?
2: Well, it's one of those things, isn't it? I wasn't surprised when it happened. Um, there was a lot, of, obviously, a lot of talk in the press about, and you, you know, Gav Southgate had been at our games. There was also talk of, of Townsend being included, which I didn't see happening either, and. You know, there is a couple of ways of looking at it, isn't there? I mean, there is a lot of talent available at right back. There is no doubt about that. Um, and at the same time, uh, your national manager he's got to have a mentality that you are building a squad and you are and you're getting people who are used to playing. You know, so you get that camaraderie that you, like you get at a club at international level. Too often, you know, if you chop and change everything, you don't have consistency. It can be a problem, but <laughs> um, you just can't deny that the stats for for AWB's a. He's just been an incredible player. You know, he's... It, it, you, you look at people keep talking about is, is he better than Trent Alexander-Arnold and all this kind of stuff. And I keep seeing literally every day there's four or five different polls saying like for TAA, retweet for AWB and all this kind of stuff. And it's great to have that sort of almost embarrassment of riches, if, if you like. You know, I can't help but think when you look at the season that Kieran Trippier has had, if, if, if he was playing for Palace... And Wembazeka was playing for Spurs. Wembazeka would be in there, and I think that's what I'm I, I'm troubled by more than anything. If I, if I take that out of the equation, I can kind of understand. You know, there's a, a big under twenty-one. Well, you know, the qualification and tournament, you know, for the Euro Championships, that's really important, and and he's very very fresh to the world of professional football. You know, it's only been a year that he's been playing first team games, albeit at an incredible level. So for me. Um, I can understand it, but it does great to see who's there instead of him.
3: Can't disagree with that, to be honest. Um, What I did want to say, though, is, you know, I mean, the sooner that he starts getting the international recognition that he deserves, the sooner he'll end up at another club. So selfishly, from our point of view, I think the, you know, the lack of that recognition yet quite taking place is better for us and also you know extra games at that kind of level they're going to be competitive there's also an increased risk of injury so yeah I mean as long as we don't end up in a situation where you know he's snubbed for too long and ends up having to play for another another nation then you know I'm I'm content with that because I want to see him play in the red and blue for years to come
0: I mean I don't want to be a downer but I I Pretty much, see. So there's a good chance of him going at the end of the season. So uh, personally, I'm not sure it makes a great deal of difference as a Palace fan whether he's in the England squad or not. Other than it might add five million to his value. Uh, I think for his for his own development, you know, the under 21s have got Poland and Germany next week. Um, and perhaps that's better than sitting on the bench. Uh, you know, against Montenegro. So, um, I think it would be all right if he plays if he does well in the in the under 21s championships in the summer. Um, I think that's great and. He'll get his time. There's an embarrassment of riches at, the, at that position, uh, that kind of thing. Everyone that has already discussed that at length. You know, it's been all over talk sport. And what I would say is it's great that a Palace player is getting that much uh, exposure. I'm sure if you've got a uh, account with that um, football uh, players thing where you, they go up and down in value, he must have gone up a lot recently. Uh, but yeah, let's not dwell on that. Let's, uh, let's go over to... Uh, what most people have been discussing—the um, failings or otherwise of the, the last couple of games—let's uh, get on to Roy's approach. Uh, the negatives of a consistent setup and repetitive coaching drills: risks versus rewards. So, I mean, this has been a bugbear of some people. Uh, we're not going to get too heavy into the should Roy go thing right now, but um, let's let's have a chat about. Um, how his tactics have played out. Uh, let's let's start with how they played out yesterday.
2: Well, <laughs> how did they play out yesterday? Well, what we saw again, um, obviously, we had the late change with Zaha being injured. But what we, what we saw again was a consistent setup. It it looked like it was going to be four four two, and in many ways it was because um, you know the, when when we're out of possession, we do get back into that two banks of four and occasionally one of the two drops back. And in this case, it was Townsend dropping back and getting, you know, get, helping out the fullback and becoming almost an orthodox winger out of possession. But in possession, he was encouraged to do what Zaha does, which is kind of roam around those wide areas, right or left, and try and add some support to Batshuayi. But it, it just didn't happen. So, the re- you know, this, this topic is really all about... If you go back two weeks to our last full review podcast, we talked heavily about how strong we were away from home because of Roy's consistent approach we talked about how much the players love that because they know their jobs they know exactly what they need to do and and what the game plan is Um, unfortunately what we're seeing now over the last couple of games is the negative side of that and it's the caution and, and I, I tweeted a thing during the game about risk versus reward and it, it was a quote and I really should have got the quote before I mentioned that I tweeted the quote shouldn't I um, but it was basically, to paraphrase the quote, it's the the biggest risk of all is an overcautious approach. Um, and I felt we went into the game against Watford with an overcautious approach. We conceded a goal. We got back into the game. Um, but you saw the proactivity of one manager and the reactivity of our manager. And if you're going to weigh up the two, it does feel very much like you'd rather see proactive measures and reactive measures
0: yeah I've, I've got to go back to that quote you, you, you you'd posted it was like a, a meme on the uh, whatsapp chat and it looked like you'd got it from like a philosophy manual or something like that and i thought fair enough if you've, you've resorted to uh, looking at philosophy <laughs> websites in order to deal with the, de- the day proceedings I, I appreciate that um look i i think um it, you, you're you're definitely spot on with with that and the only the only counter I would say against it is um, in the post match interviews, both both Jimmy Mack and and Luca said that they felt a lot better in the second half than they did in the first. And let's be honest, we were, other than a, a period in the middle of the first half, we um, we were overrun. So, um, it how how is it that he, he managed to sort of s- stick to training regimes and yet things so drastically changed? Um, you know, on the or when it was coming up to the hour, how is it that we suddenly started? It looked like Watford were were short of confidence. Like, what, what happened there?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, you have to look at a lot of first halves. Even when we go in one 0 up or whatever, we tend to be saying, "Yeah, we've 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 either you know, certainly the last couple of away games that we that we won, we were saying that." We were probably lucky to go in at half time 1 0 up, and we, we had improved in the second half. And in general, I think it's a fair criticism to say we only really play well in halves, generally under Roy Houston. Uh We always have a reaction to do it. And what happened, and, and again, the only real change that I saw at half time was an increase in intensity. You know, And I, and I would imagine, because not, not everything is down to the manager, right? Sometimes the players will go out there, and for whatever reason, they would have interpreted the message, interpreted the game plan as stay calm wait for your opportunities and I'm sure those are all things that that the coaching staff say because they're sensible things right and just to reference back not only have I looked at philosophy websites but I've been in management training all last week so that's that's also a factor (laughs) sorry (laughs) sorry mate but you know just to drag it back to what I'm saying it's there, there was a reaction but there had to be a reaction but the trouble is it's always a reaction why it shouldn't have to be that we are reacting to things all the time. And especially when we have a manager who has a tendency, shall we say, to react later than you would like.
3: I think there's a couple of interesting issues with, with this specific performance because start from the start, you know, I mean, obviously um, there was the issue with Wilf and, you know, what clearly what happened there is, you know, oh dear, Wilf can't play. Oh, well, we'll drop someone else into that spot rather than, hmm, maybe we shouldn't go with the system that we were going to play with two wingers. Um, we ended up in a situation where we were set up to play with two wingers, but didn't have two wingers on the pitch. And that's going to put you on a hiding to nothing, in my opinion. So, you know, selection um, and setup is part one of the problem. But then the second problem is something that we've, we've 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 talked about this over many weeks, which is that Roy doesn't like to do early subs. He doesn't seem to like to do subs at all. But when he does, it's usually around that kind of seventy-five minutes mark, so that he can, so that we can take part in that fifteen-minute. It's a final race to the line. But in this case, you know, I mean, you've summed it up as proactivity. Seventy-five minutes would have been the the natural line for Roy to make a sub, and the natural sub would have been to bring on Benteke or possibly Ayew, someone to speed things up and give us an attacking option. He made that a sub, but he made that sub. 10 minutes later than he should have done. Meanwhile, on 77 minutes, they bring on Andre Gray, who scores two minutes later. So when you've got obvious changes that need making and he doesn't do it, that's what's so frustrating.
0: Yeah, Good points. I, I'll come back to um, the starting line up without Wilf. And I think what frustrated me for the first half hour, for the first 20 minutes at least, um, I was thinking back to the two games we won without Wilf, where it, it really did... Obviously, he had extra time to know that Wilf wasn't going to be playing, but they'd made a proper decision to replace him in the right way. And, okay, IU is, you know, there's been a few jokes about him being the greatest of all time and he had that purple patch where he scored a whole two goals, etc. Um, but it didn't seem like there was a, a sort of like-for-like like swap, um, So, which is why Andros ended up playing both sides swapping because... Um, there just wasn't the same intensity that there was in the two games that Zahar was missing through suspension. And that did frustrate me immensely. Um, And I don't really know why he couldn't have, like you say, gone to a, gone to a plan B that worked against two really decent premier league teams.
2: Well, I I want to address a a bit there because whilst, whilst the points I I agree with about how we react and and the setup, because you're absolutely right. We, we chose to just replace Wilf with Townsend. That's how we how we dealt with that situation. But to, but to talk about it as two wingers, I've really got to address that fallacy because it happens so much. People keep talking about you know us playing with wingers. Roy doesn't play with wingers. He, he, he doesn't at all. And you know if you if you go again, I, I always mention them every week at the minute. But get yourself on who scored scored and check out the the match report on that and look at the average player positions. We had we had no wingers at all. The, the only wide players who got forward were Wan bissaka and, and Jeffrey Schlupp from fullback. You know, Andros Townsend's average position is very central, almost on top of Michi Bachwai, who's is, and almost on top of Max Mayer as well, who who didn't occupy the the centre of midfield in the same way that um that James MacArthur did, who who very much was playing narrow centre-wide right. So, you know Roy's 4-4-2 when he's got central midfielders playing wide and they tuck in. That's what we were trying to do. But the shift this time was whether it was deliberate or whether it was just the way Max Mayer chose to play that position. But Max was, was central and further forward rather than, than hogging out on that left-hand side. But um, for me, it, it does emphasise what you're saying. But I, I had to I had to say, we we don't play with wingers. And when you look at Andros Townsend being a very strong, competent winger and you look at you know Wilf let's face it he's effective out wide I believe personally he's more effective as a as a forward who's who's given the freedom to move in and around another forward and I think the statistics back that up however you know he can effectively operate at a very very high level out wide as well you know those are real strong points for us and I'm saying we don't do that under Roy and I think you know, that in itself is is another issue because we have that flexibility to do it and he always chooses not to.
0: That is, uh, that is a very, very good point. Um, let's take a brief break from discussing the tactics of the game and we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but the one thing I did want to discuss before we get too far into that kind of thing is uh, something that quite a few people have wanted to discuss um, if we go with Richard Evans, he said uh, it's a shame we lost, but not totally unexpected. And at least we can concentrate on the Premier League now. So, uh, where does Palace's season go now? Um, what would constitute success? And what happens for the rest of the campaign and the off season? Um, I mean, obviously, being safe as soon as possible would be the first thing. We've got Huddersfield. Saturday week, so you'd think that probably um, we could get to 36, which I assume is going to be enough um, with that game. But um, what what do you expect? I mean, what what would make people happy, happy enough? Um, Obviously, recently, people haven't been happy with a lot of things. Personally, yesterday, I just thought we were beaten by a team that was you know, better than us, more well-drilled than us and had a little bit more flair on the day for the majority. Um, but, you know, what what can we expect from the rest of the season in order to make sure that we we have at least stayed afloat with where we were last year?
2: Well, I think there's there's a what can we expect and there's what are we likely to see. I think there are potentially <laughs> be two quite Okay, things. But, yeah,
0: let, let's, let's start <laughs> with what you expect we'll see and then uh, what would be an yeah. ideal situation.
2: What I expect to see is exactly what we've already seen. You know, we'll be picking a very consistent side. We'll be looking to stay in the games that we don't expect to win and see what we can do. Um, and the games that we maybe feel we've got a better chance of getting points, we'll play in a very similar style with maybe a, a slight shift of personnel. Um, I think we'll still look more dangerous away from home than at home. Um, and re- we'll, we'll get enough points to stay up. But it but it won't be fun. That's what, I, that's what I'm expecting. Uh, and, and honestly, when people say the season's over, I understand that. But part of me also says, you know what? We're not 100% safe yet. We're probably statistically safe, if you look at the games we have left and how we generally pick up points. I think you'd argue that statistically we're safe. But, you know. Poor form hits us all, and if we if we ever run a defeat, it could be very late in the season before we can react.
0: Well, I mean, I I honestly can't see us going down. As Terence often points out, it's actually quite hard to get relegated from the Premier League, especially when two teams are essentially already down. Um, but there has been a, a a couple of comments about um what what would be better for the for the team, you know, going down. Uh, Vince Flynn being one of them. Um, you know, I'm not saying that he necessarily agrees with what he said, but um, Championship food, football is that where we're headed? Um, he's talked about the season being finished. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that. As you say, we're we, you know we've we've still got points to pick up. It's hard to say that it's finished um, any more than any other team that's out of the FA Cup and doesn't have a chance of uh, Europe. But um, you know the. the that the players are going to want to make sure that we hit 38 points as soon as possible.
3: Daniel Schilling said something very similar to that on Twitter. Um, Not saying we are, but would relegation be a blessing? Clear out the big wages and start again. It seems to be the same every year. Again, we're talking about possibly going into the new season, looking for a new manager. So we'll we'll park the new manager bit for now. Um, Would relegation be a blessing? I definitely don't think so. Um, It would set us back in terms of our ability to grow as a club. I mean, to get things like the, the, the new stand, assuming that is still, um, actually going to happen. And that obviously there are people asking questions about that, given, uh, the Americans, uh, desire to sell their share. Um, I, I just think it would be a disaster for the club. You know, you need to look at clubs like Villa and Sunderland, um, and what's happened to them from my point of view. We definitely cannot be so complacent as to view it as any kind of a blessing, um, having said that, um, also, you know, the, the, original question we were discussing was, um, what would success look like, um, from here, success is survival, but then we shouldn't be starting from here. And that's, that's the real issue. I think.
2: What would success like, uh, look like was also a slide in one of my management. Um, <laughs>
0: what what what's, what's the answer? <laughs> what does it look like? If you could draw a picture of it, if you had a Pictionary game right now and you had to draw success, what would it be?
2: It's different for the individual, isn't it? And For, for me, it's uh, me with a, one of those cartoon-style sacks with a dollar sign on it running running away uh, into the sunset um, away from all of this, yeah, I think. But fair enough. But, it's uh, a giant pile of- no, it, it, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, look, in fairness, there's a couple of things that, uh, I've got to address there as well. So I, I would say on one side, when people say, oh, relegation would be a blessing, absolutely not. Um, as Chris was saying, there's all sorts of reasons you can point at that. But I think particularly the championships are a very, very tough league. And all of us, when we were last in the championship, we demanded that our team got promoted because that's what it's all about. You, you, you don't want to stay in that division. You don't want to get relegated from that division and mid table in the championship. You'd have even worse um, despondency than we have now. However, you know, there is a flip side to that argument and it, it gets into a lot of what people have been talking about in terms of the season being over. So it, you know, you, you certainly you lose a certain type of fan for a start, and those are the, the people who are really only interested in watching Premier League football. Um are a bit late to the party perhaps, you know, and haven't quite got it, got what it's about. Um, that don't you know, we got fans who don't know what it's like to support Palace outside of the Premier League. And I'm not trying to disrespect those people, and I certainly don't want to indicate that the length of time you've watched a football team validates your opinion more than anyone else's because people who've watched Palace for 50 years uh, can be as wrong as anybody else it, it you know it doesn't qualify your opinion How, however what I would say is there's a lot of discomfort from people who've been watching Palace for quite a time and have seen what's been behind our our rise of late which was the a togetherness of the supporters and the club was a was a fight was a never-say-die attitude that was epitomised by players playing above the level you ever thought that they could get to. And those things, it really meant something to us at that point. Um, and the longer we've been in the Premier League, the further I feel that we're getting away from that. Um, we've got an incredibly talented squad, but when you look at the squad as a whole, you know, and who, who do you trust to push themselves above and beyond? And it's not because they don't care and they don't want to, it's just they're not those types of people. Um, And and I think that's perhaps what people miss um, about when we were less successful, let's say.
0: Yeah, I certainly miss that. What I would say um, in defence of the Premier League is back in the Championship days uh, and probably in my more heavy drinking days, um, as I'm sure Hambo and Chris could attest, when there wasn't so much, you could only see like two minutes of highlights. If you were absolutely (laughs) while the game was on, which undoubtedly happens. You forget an entire season. Like, at least <laughs> at least with the Premier League, you can pretty much remember every result because you can go back and remind yourself of it. And I know the Championship's changing. You can now watch every game and that kind of thing. But if you happen to have a few drinking issues, um, it's very hard to remember stuff in the Championship. That's all I'm saying. Plus, you know, I've got a couple of kids growing up. They're going to be glory hunters, the same as we all are as kids. And uh, if we're in the Championship... Before I know it, they're going to be Arsenal fans. And that's not what we want, is it? That's, that's yeah. not what we want at all. So, let us get into the game. Um, and let's start with uh, our goalkeeper. Uh, now, so, Chris Chantry. Uh, why do our keepers struggle with crosses against Watford's? Guaita has been fine with them until yesterday when he appeared to forget the fundamentals of it. Now, I went out for a walk uh, after the game. Uh, I walked a fairly long distance down to Weatherspoons, And it was f-ing windy. Like, it was windy as hell. Um, and you could pretty much guarantee that if you were kicking a football about, it was going to go random places. Um, so I think that bothered him in the first place. But then he clearly lost his confidence. And I haven't seen that happen to him before. Although I would have thought the Brighton game probably did take it out of him a little bit. I'm sure he was beating himself up for... Um, for the Murray goal because I, I'm sure most keepers would have been annoyed to be beaten in the way he was um, and it's a shame that his English isn't good enough that he sort of has a few more interviews because I'd be interested to know his faults um, but I think he made a couple of excellent saves first of all, one particularly excellent one um, with an outstretched, I think it was his left arm uh, near post um, so, but you know Hennessy is also a decent shot stopper so um, he wasn't great again with his distribution. There was one point where he, he sort of passed the ball out, uh, um my heart stopped because it had gone gone out, and we were two on one. Um, he had he had a poor game. Let, let, let's definitely say that. Um, what I mean is that just a one off, do you think?
2: Well, it's difficult to know, isn't it? Um, I think prior performances, you know, he had, I think the only other game I would say was was very poor in was the cup game against Borough. I think it was. Um, but I mean, first of all, I know it's it's an easy excuse when you, when, you, when we talk about the win, but it, it affected his judgment. And I think once you have that level of uncertainty, it's very difficult as a, as a goalkeeper, particularly when you, your your opponent is playing, you know, as Watford do direct, very direct. Um, you know, they do like to hit Deeney with a long ball, and it's clear if you look at how Guiter approached the game, it's clear he'd been told that he had to be on the lookout for that because there were several times where he was very good. He was anticipating flick-ons or he was anticipating that long ball, got right out of his area and came in and, and just took the ball easily, took the pressure off. Um, you know, but when it mattered, he, he failed. And, you know, people, people said, oh, if Wayne had done that, we'd have would have driven him out of the club and all this kind of stuff. And, you, and you, you're right to a point because it, I always go back to the point of history, but any goalkeeper in those conditions is going to struggle. But what I think was perhaps more telling is ask yourself how often Vicente Guaita has played with Tompkins and Kelly ahead of him as a centre-back partnership. And then start thinking about what that means. And when we start talking about confidence from the goalkeeper and those ahead of him, is it, is it once?
0: Is it is, yeah. is this the second time? I think.
2: I think at, at most. I was I was struggling, but I think it might have happened once once before. Yeah, and that's it. tricky
3: one. This right because at the end of the day, Wayne has made these mistakes before. You know, he's flapped at corners in exactly the same way. And I think you know, while after. Two or three or four times doing it, yeah, we will react in a judgy and probably less than supportive way. But after one, you've probably got to say, "Okay, that was a bad game." Hopefully, that's not going to happen again. That—that's honestly my my opinion. I mean, it's it desperately disappointing. We thought we'd got someone more stable. Maybe we have, um, and for all the reasons that you know you've just covered, Chris. Um, I, d- I just don't think we should rush to judgment yet and write a player off off the back of one poor performance but you know it, it's worrying that
0: you know we're, that we're even talking about this I mean that's what's interesting because um, it doesn't it doesn't seem to me like he's he's got that much credit in the bank just because it's impossible for him to uh, to have that much after this amount of time having said that you know we, we've got A relatively decent record of conceding goals he is a decent shot stopper um and i think time will tell um but that clearly hit him hard um he he was clearly sort of he was stressed and and it was maybe affecting the 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 the, 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 certainly the back middle the middle two a little bit um hopefully it's a one-off we'll have to see against Huddersfield um it's, you know, Huddersfield have scored a load against West Ham over the weekend, so it might not be quite as easy an afternoon as it might have been if we played them a couple of months ago. So we'll have to we'll have to see. Uh, let's move on to Batshuayi, um, who obviously had a great game, scored an amazing goal. Um, Farhad Zaidi, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, sir. Has Batswai made a case to be signed permanently? Obviously, he did really well in the circumstances sort of the game. Um, created stuff himself, as well as getting a bit of distribution, but probably not enough. Um, uh, there's plenty of crosses that um, he was the only man in there. I can think of one from uh Wan-Bissaka that went miles over his head that if it had landed on it, he certainly would have scored. Um do you think he's made a case for signing? And more than that, do you think we're even in a position to be discussing that? Because, A, I don't think Chelsea are going to let him go. Uh, and, B, I don't think the funds are going to be there to sign him anyway. So, should we maybe not get too attached?
2: Well, who knows, funds-wise, um, you know, I suspect there'll be a lot of uh, lot of rebuilding to be done in the summer, um, in all honesty. Uh, he's certainly done enough. He's, he's a proper striker. He gets in the right positions and, he, and he's putting chances away. That's the main thing, isn't it? Um, Oh, by the way, Fur Furhead, you got his you got his name right. Furhead was on the original first ever show that we ever did. Oh, really? Yeah, he's he's one of the originals. It was me, Ben Nagel and Furhead. Oh, there you good
0: go. lads, still still in touch.
2: Yeah, top man, still yeah, sticking with guys. us. Yeah, top top fella as well. Um, but anyway, um, I think he he's he's slightly enigmatic, isn't he? And a lot of people were talking in the we're, um,
0: to- we're talking about Furhead now, or why.
2: <laughs> Both are enigmatic, but one is, a better, one is a better finisher. And I haven't nutmegged uh, Batshuayi on a five-a-side pitch, but I have nutmegged Furhead on a five-a-side pitch. So. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think Batshuayi's first half performance, people were wondering what on earth he adds to the team at times because we left him pretty isolated. He didn't seem to know exactly where he needed to be. Trying to hit long balls up to him is... It's probably all right if the wind isn't 400 miles an hour. So um, we didn't really do him any favours. But at the same time, you know, you, you could see why people were sort of going, you know, where's, where's the work rate? Why is he not putting people under pressure? Um, but he comes alive in the six yard box for a start. But he was one who definitely upped that work rate in the second half. And I think the main reason he was able to do that is more players got up and around him and were playing quicker, faster, and being more supportive of each other.
0: I would say that anyone that questioned Batshuayi's work rate um, can't have a full understanding of, of how Roy likes to do things because he was in a totally thankless situation at times. Um, there wasn't a lot he could do. Um, you know, that I think that criticism comes, you know, it's come for Benteke before when there's a lack of any other reason to criticise a striker, uh, you know, they're not getting the ball. There's not a great deal they can do about it. And he certainly was. Um, I'd, I'd love to see the stats for his um, his running stats over the course of the game, but there was plenty of times he was back in the box and that kind of thing. So um, I think that would be a very harsh thing to criticise him for. Um, he was feeding off scraps in the first half. Really, he was feeding off scraps in the second half and, and it wasn't much more than a scrap that, that he scored the goal. I mean, it was absolutely excellent finish, but more than that, to, to create the chance for himself in the first place was damn impressive.
2: I, I do have something to add um, a little bit about well, it's all about the first half. It's about the whole game as well, and, and a little bit about why why we struggled the way we did, and perhaps why we're not giving Watford quite much, not quite as much credit. And it, you know, it is linked to how isolated Batchelor I was, because we we picked a side that, you know, Watford went for an orthodox four four two, right? Where you know we we basically ended up having three central midfielders against their two. However, they played in such a way with the way that they pressed that they did force us wide our, our attacking areas. Again, credit uh, who scored.com, um, were primarily, we had 46% down the right side and 35 down the left, and a mere 19% through the middle. So for picking a team that was just basically strong, set up to play through the middle of the park, Watford did a tremendous job in forcing us to play out wide. And how often, if you think back to that match, how often were the fullbacks receiving the ball with very few options and having to lump it forward or try and pass it back to the central defence or knock it back to Guaita who would then lump it forward and how often do we actually see us move the ball play it through the centre and give the ball to Batchway where he where he wants it you know we've seen how dangerous he is receiving the ball to feet either back to goal or with with the ball in front of him that's where he's dangerous that's where he comes alive and he ended up making that the goal for himself by stealing the ball and doing that. So I think you've got to credit Watford for that, but also look at how we were set up. We made it too easy to play against us. I think
0: that brings me on to Max Mayer just briefly, because um, he, I'm not sure whether he's better. Obviously running with the ball is what you want to see. And if we can't create, Chances. If we can't run down the middle, then you've got to squarely um, suggest that that Meyer should be responsible. Um, there's only a few runs down the left as well, um, and I thought he he had another underwhelming uh, game, um, despite a few moments where he 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 did look like he was he was helping things along, um, and it was frustrating because um, without without his runs, there wasn't a great deal. Anyone else could do. We got, you know, Andros' runs and, and Wan Bissaka, but um, that is something we are we are lacking big time.
2: Yeah, for for sure we are. And um, again, if you you know, if you want to you want to look at how Mayer played, you know, he he was you no know, far 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 behind on the number of times he received the ball. You know, I can give you exact exact figures if you like. Um, you know, let's compare him yeah, to, to Lukaku. Give, give it those stats. He had, Luca had 80 touches of the ball, with a passing accuracy of 81.5%. Right, one of one of our, he was our second best player in the day statistically behind Juan Busaca. Interestingly, third, sorry, fourth was Vicente Guaita. Just saying, uh, with Batchuay in third there. But um, but if you if you look at he had, you know his passing accuracy was 80%. That's exactly what you expect of Max Meyer. Um, he had three shots, two of which were on target. Um, you Know a very you know, overall, you'd look at those statistics, you'd say he'd, he'd done quite well, other than he just didn't see anywhere near enough of the ball. And I think that reflects exactly what you're saying, Mike, about about his, the way he played. And it goes back to supporting those statistics that we just didn't play through the middle of the park. Enough.
0: Yeah, I've got to say about his chances. Um, one thing Watford didn't do was pick him up, so uh, particularly that, that, that one that was cleared off the line. Um, they obviously just thought, you know, five foot seven, skinny as awake, we'll leave him alone. Um, and actually. Despite the, the props he got for them, um, I was a little bit frustrated um, with the, with the with the two main efforts. Well, one of them, fair enough, it was a header, um, but uh, you'd love to see him net a few more, wouldn't you? Let's let's go on to um, let's go on to Jimmy Mack because I feel yesterday was a great example of um, him really struggling to make his mark on 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 the game. Um, he's got. He gets. The, I mean, I don't know what the stat, if you have got the stats there for how many times he touched the ball. Um, he seemed to touch it plenty, but didn't 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 seem to be able to do enough with it.
2: I'll, I'll jump yeah. in there before Chris gets in, and, and yeah, it was the same number yeah. of touches as Mayer, forty nine. Um, passing accuracy seventy three point three. No shots at all. No key passes. Nothing really.
3: I think given you know he, the level of fitness, he just constantly looks tired, and I know that's partly the way he runs. We've talked about this before, but. I, I, I just think that, you know, he needs a break and he needs to not be, you know, an ever present pick, which I know Hodgson, I guess this is part, part of the problem that we've got, which is that, you know, Hodgson does like a consistent selection. Um, but sometimes you, you know, you, when you can see that someone is so obviously tired, you know, and yes, he plays with a shirt. Um, he can contribute a few goals, although he hasn't done for some little while now. um, you know, I, I just think he's desperately in need of a rest and yeah, you know, we need to give someone else a run of games. And I'd I'd like to see that be Max. I I share the frustration that's been talked about um you know, about the uh lack of success in goals, um and you know, the way that we've been set up in this particular game. But I think a run for Max is that is the best way that we can possibly build towards that and hopefully, you know, if, if we can secure a result next Saturday, then you know, the shackles come off and we can experiment a bit.
2: It's interesting you um, you bring up the tiredness. Um, so I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I'd uh, been made aware of some player data that was um, that was available, and again, not, not getting into detail of, of why, um, I, I'm, I was made aware that some there are some players in the team. So basically, when the, when they're assessed um, in terms of fitness, you, you get told you know the expected number of minutes they can play throughout the course of the season. Uh, until their, st- um, what would you say? I suppose standard, maybe, or their their level drops off. If you like, so
0: they're off to the glee factory. You mean?
2: <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, I won't get into any specifics because I'm I'm not sure what I should shouldn't say to be honest with you. But you know, there are there are players in our team who, who played in that game who are at or very near their recommended maximum number of minutes, and you know that goes to. The issues we've had with you know injuries early on particularly in the forward areas um and the lack of let's face it lack of trust that Roy's had in the squad um we have used consistently the same players so the fact that you might see certain players levels dropping off is actually it's just what happens when you use players to a certain level um, under under the sort of pressures of Premier League football on, on a regular basis and you know Roy either has to trust in other players who have know, plenty spare in the tank and maybe aren't quite at the same level or don't fulfil the same role that he wants. He's got to either trust in them or accept that there's going to be this level of drop-off in the team.
0: Do you have the expected total minutes uh, or top total minutes for Riedeveld there? Is it is it zero? Yeah, well oh, that is a shame. He's he's probably thinking no. Ajax are in the in the the, the last the last eight of the Champions League, and I'm not there um what I would say about this debate and about MacArthur is that um we've wanted Mayer to start, we've wanted Cuarte to start, and they both did, so you know who would you be who would you be talking about coming in um chris I- 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 instead of MacArthur if if those two are both playing
2: well that's that's the thing isn't it it's a good question um you know, I think when we talk about that, that start in midfield that we want to see of Koyate, Luca, and Mayer, in everyone's head, it's in a four three three with Townsend on the right, Zaha on the left and Batshuayi up top or Batshuayi at the moment, right? Except we don't really play like that. So um, the, the answer is a difficult one. If we're going to play four in midfield and we're going to be picking from four central midfielders, you know, it, you know, you Jeffrey Schlup usually plays in central midfield as well. So that's really what you're looking at. You're looking at a four in there, and and it would be MacArthur that comes out, and Mayer that goes in with Schlup playing in midfield.
0: But yeah, I, 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 I sh- assume that uh, Schlup's total minutes is like ten more than every possible game in the entire <laughs> season, including friendlies, under twenty-three games, etc. <laughs> Yeah, while well, while we're on that subject, um, I don't know if you t- you two agree with this, but whichever side Andros wasn't playing on yesterday, there seemed a dearth of ideas. Um, I don't know if you if you think you noticed that as well. Um, but you yeah. know when he switched, it seemed like whichever side he was on uh, looked the more likely. Why do you reckon that is?
2: Well, it's because he was taking up wide areas, and that's and that's kind of where the play was being forced, if you like, because. And I think we we as a team we ran out of ideas at times, in the centre. But you know, obviously Andros was effectively our, our our biggest threat, if you like. And again, you know, the statistics back that up. But he didn't get he didn't see anywhere near enough for the ball. You know, he played f- three key passes, which was triple the best of anybody else. <laughs> if that gives it away, um, that is and,
0: depressing. You
2: know, yeah, and his his pass accuracy was down at um sixty six percent. But again, he saw, if you look in terms of touches, only Guaita and uh, Benteke off the bench had less touches than Andrews Townsend. Actually, no, I'll take that back. Uh, to Shawai was the other one, uh, was slightly less. But, but, but Townsend should have been the key player, the one that we were playing through. And you're right, he was the one who was dangerous, he was the one who was getting into spaces. Um, but how often did he look up and there was no one in the box, particularly first half? That, I think. You know, we we just lack width, and Roy does not play with natural width, and, and that's the
0: problem. Oh, we all know we all
3: lack width. Speak <sighs> for yourself, comrade. Um, the number of opportunities that, and the number of times that Andros was down one wing or one channel, and you'd he would look backwards, actually. And, you know, I mean, often, as we know, I mean, it's something that people bemoan is that he cuts in because he wants to cross from the right wing with his left foot. Um, But often he would also try a little bit of interplay with Aaron Wambasaka. And sometimes that worked. But actually, I mean, I think the fact that um, his pass accuracy wasn't so great is partly because that was our only outlet. And Watford were being very effective in crowding him out and in getting very close to AWB as well. So there was no ability for them to achieve the interplay that you know they have been good at at times this season. It just didn't work, um, partly because there wasn't another option.
0: It's almost as if Watford have looked at the two times they already beat us this season and worked out the best way to go. Um, OK, let's talk about the two goals quickly. Um, were they both avoidable? I think certainly the second one they'll be very disappointed with. And let's just tie that in with were we missing Dan as well um did that make a difference whether because um because of a lack of uh that much game time as you say between Tompkins and Kelly whether it was zero games or one this season you've got to say
2: that the goals were avoidable but um i think that the only thing i would say about it is with with the first goal if you need, if you just look at it as you, as you know as it first appears you obviously wonder what on earth Gwite is doing trying to get there um doesn't really recover at all and the, the second thing is you look at two palace players going for the same ball so i can't remember who it is now who leave who leaves capre and, and goes to goes to head the ball when you have already got a goal Mike. you might know uh was it kelly I think you think you're probably right, but it goes goes to head when you've already got two, you've already got our keeper and another and another defender going for the ball at the same time. So all of a sudden, that's three Palace players in total going going for that first ball, and and you know the, the criminal fact of leaving your, your man completely alone in the six yard box, and it's just an easy tap in for him. So, of course, it's avoidable. I think the the greater problem with it was not getting ourselves out of the. We we'd, all of a sudden there haven't been much pressure from Watford at all. We just couldn't clear our lines. We didn't know how to. We were just constantly giving them the ball back and allowing, you know, a, a, a glut of corners and just, that, I think the pressure just told in that situation. And and Watford used, you know, used that win very, very well.
0: I, I have to say the second goal, I could see it coming in that every time, you know, they, 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 they're they clearly great at giving you possession and then hitting you on the break, even at home. And, you know, we, we've had discussions about how Palace are a different team home in a way. Well, they, they seem to be like an abject lesson in how to play at home. Just just give give the opposition the ball, whether it's Fulham or whether it's Man City. Um, they seem to back themselves. And every time they play the ball over, we only had Tompkins back or we only had Tompkins and wan And you just you just knew that one of them was going to go in because um, you, you, you can't keep an attack that's that strong Um, at bay when you've only got one or two men back and it's fine having that it's fine getting forward but they they clearly have an excellent game plan and it's it's no secret so um, it seems that we again we sort of made the same mistakes that we do at home in that we pushed forward because we had plenty of the ball um, and got hit on the break um, which is exactly what we should should be doing against teams rather than them doing it against us Um, and that's depressing
2: Exactly right on that as well, Mike. And, and the thing I wanted to, to add to that is, you know, I talked earlier on about risk versus reward and all that, and th- that's the type of risk that you don't want to take. You know, you don't have to have your centre backs get getting out of position. You don't have to get too, you know, people too far forward um, to and lose your shape completely. It's about, you know, particularly so. Let's say, you know, we've got a midfield three. It's about every now and then two of them getting right up with with the with the centre forward if we get the ball in wide areas or it's about changing the focus of the attack and trying to outnumber Watford in, in a different area it's you know the trouble is we just do the same things over and over and when we try to increase that risk we seem to be doing it in areas that do leave us open however we've all watched a lot of football and my god does it happen a lot doesn't it you know, being caught on the break when you're pushing for something. And I think really the lesson is try not to be in a position where we're constantly trying to chase the game.
3: Yeah, I mean, the the other thing is, you know, we we don't want to make this too much about ourselves. Um, Certainly the second goal was actually a pretty good goal. Um, The one thing I will say is um, it's quite apparent on the highlights package, looking back, that Aaron Wambisaka is massively out of position, way too far up the pitch, and not even on the right-hand side um such that you know the when the ball comes forward you know the winger's got loads of space um and is able to pick up that cross it's also a very good run so much so that you know at the time um it looked like a very very clear offside to me and yet actually having seen replays back i was completely wrong um it was onside it was just a brilliantly timed run um you know that caught our defense caught our defenders out so you know Watford made the right change at the right time and you know we lost on the basis of that.
0: Uh, so yeah, that's uh, depressing but accurate. Um, let us get on to uh, Dr's rant. Now he's not here to defend himself, um, but yesterday he uh, posted something straight after the game, uh, and I'll I'll, I'll quote it verbatim for you: Hodgson rant, and then a little uh, siren emoji, um, as as you'd expect from a man of his age. Um, no, that's harsh, deal. Uh I've been patient, but my patience has run out. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not saying sack Roy right now, but in the summer, he has to go. We've got a talented squad, which he simply has, hasn't has got the best out of. Um, so, if we take wan Saka for an example, there he's saying being out of position. Um, what was it Hodgson telling him to push when we were 1-0 um, and not cover at the back. I mean, probably Hodgson got him inside and gave him an absolute rollicking. But the Hodgson run—I mean, there's plenty of people saying Hodgson out. There's plenty of people saying Hodgson see out his contract and, and bugger off. Let's let's not forget that he has another year. People, it's not he doesn't go this summer. Um, so I don't really want to get into another. Should Hodgson go? Because I don't think he should. Um, but what do you think about Dr. And while he's making hummus, he's not here to defend himself.
2: Well, I think, first of all, we've got to give context to, to Dio's anger. Uh, and um, just to, just so people are aware of what was happening when DR posted that tweet, yeah, he said this, I, I was so stressed after full time, I went to the toilet and started sweating and had to take my top off. Honestly, I thought I was having a little panic attack because I had food beforehand. And you know how Elvis <laughs> Presley died on the toilet. I thought the same thing was happening. Uh, I'm laugh- I'm laughing about it now, but I was worried. So... Just sharing a little bit, a little bit of what Dr. actually like. G- he, 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 it's not a character act. He's like it in real do life. Do you
0: know how worried you'd have to be on a day to day basis to worry that you're going <laughs> to die the way that Elvis Presley did, smacking his head on a toilet? <laughs> Unbelievable.
2: Um. So that's those are the context for the D- That's, that's Dio's not uh, context.
0: Elvis. That's no context at all.
2: <laughs> I just needed to say it. Um. Look. Oh, how do I feel? Um. I, I just, I do think that let's just face it patience is wearing thin on mass it's not just it's not just dr sweating on a toilet it's it's a considerable number of people who are seeing the same things every week but i i have i have those same thoughts myself okay and and i, I go back to the, the opinion i tend to have with Rory, which was if he went tomorrow i wouldn't be upset about it but at the same time You've got to ask yourself so many different questions, and we can't get into them all today um you know, but the main question is who who comes in and how do we guarantee that it's better? You know the players they trust Roy, they understand his methods, they like working with him there's there's no player revolt The, the problem we've got is that we appear very, very passive um as a football team, and that is in direct contrast to how we we're used to seeing our team play. We, you know, we aren't used to seeing the, the quality of players that we've got and sometimes the quality of football that we do play, you know, when we're actually on form it's some, it is, it's a really impressive football that we we do show however we just seem to have a bit of a weakness, that, that sort of fragility that we hadn't seen for, for a very, very long time and, you know, I go back to, to the moaning about how Watford played against us and, and I, I know not everybody will remember but when we had a, a central midfield of Jeff Thomas and Andy Gray, who are well, they voted in the central midfield. You know our legendary midfielders. They are the two that were picked out of everybody. Um, you know our all-time best team. They, they, as well as being good footballers, they were absolutely. And I'm, I, I hesitate to use the phrase "rock hard," but I'm gonna. <laughs> That's what they were, right? They were absolutely, You just wouldn't. You wouldn't trifle with them. That's what I am going to say. You
0: would not uh, trifle with them. It. Beautiful.
2: And I think, yeah, I think you are missing it. We're missing that. And I think, I think people are are basically blaming Roy for that. And whether that's entirely true, don't know. But you know, he's the one who sets the team up, picks the players, and decides how we're going to approach a game. And right now, our approach seems to be very much a passive one. Let's let's play our game plan, see what happens, and if we have to change it. I'll think about it.
3: I'll make a couple of quick points on this. I mean, the first one is I'm lucky enough to go to quite a lot of away games, um, which means I've actually seen Palace win a few times this season. And if I only had a season ticket, um, then and I was just going to home games and watching the turgid, pathetic defeats that we've seen so many times this season um, and indeed for the last few seasons, then yeah, I'd be really cheesed off the same as um, a huge number of people seem to be right now. The other thing um, is actually what you've just said, Hambo, which is about um, you know characters in the dressing room. Um, so, you know, echoing um, actually someone like Lucy, you know, you think back to Damien Delaney, you think back to Milo Yedinak um, and one of the tweets that struck me this week, this wasn't directly onto our social media, but um, you know, I did see it in the Palace Twitter sphere, was um, from Liam, who um, tweeted after the game, CPFC elite mindset, bring back players who want to play for the club and are proud to pull on the shirt. I don't care how good they currently are, are if they don't want to be here. The club's mindset needs to be rebuilt. Um, and I think that's true. I think there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to be done. Um, so well said, Liam. And you know, let's hope that that project starts sooner rather than later, regardless of whether there's a change in manager, it's that rebuild that needs to happen.
0: Okay. Well, let's get on to uh, a little bit of listener contact before we finish up. Um, We started with Mark Jones, should Hodgson step down, move upstairs at the end of the season, which I guess carries on directly from what we were just talking about. Um, Whether or not he steps down, um, is, is going to be up to him because I, I can't see anyone pushing him out um, certainly people that have talked about him stepping down before the end of the season I see no advantage to that whatsoever um, if he wants to step down end of the season fair enough but I think he'll only do that for, you know through age um, I think we're doing fine in terms of um, what they, the, the club would want money wise you know we're stay in the Premier League um, had a decent run in, in, in the cup uh, so I don't think anyone's going to kick him out unless we, we do drastically poorly in the last eight games of the season. Uh, I don't see him moving upstairs because he's already 71. So um, let's let's leave that aside and we'll go on to a next point. Uh, Chrissy. Um So Robert Selsa on Twitter says, what is our next step? Parrish said we should
3: dream of Europe and if we don't move forward, we are moving back. Do you think we have moved forward on the pitch in the last three years?
2: Do I? <laughs> um, well, well um, what is moving forward? What? Is, uh, okay, that's perhaps, perhaps not the best way of saying that. People actually rip me apart if I leave it there. Um, the, uh, the, the trouble you have is, is that everyone wants to progress, right? Every single club in the Premier League, barring those that are pretty much guaranteed to stay there because of their, their wealth and the amount of talent that they've got. The rest of us are all looking at, the fact that three teams will drop out of the Premier League every year, no matter what. You can't change that. It happens. It's not the same teams that come up every year. that go down. It it changes each year. And when clubs do go down, it's it's not guaranteed they come back up, right? So it's incredibly tough to start talking about how can we progress every year because, you know, different things happen. People look at a a team like Watford and the setup that they've got and this week they've been saying well why don't we have that exact same setup well you know so that's worked for watford for a few years but it doesn't mean it will continue to work forever and it doesn't mean it would work for palace it's so there's so many different variables to whether or not you can progress and succeed as a club all we can do is try to increase the quality in our squad use the money the money that we've got to improve the infrastructure of the club and and try to to build a bigger organisation that can Generate more money, attract more talent and and basically give a better football experience or whatever you want to call it to keep fans coming through the gates and engaging with the club. And I think we've done all right at that. I think we've they've you know, the the people who are running the club have taken the decisions to try and do all of those things. Unfortunately, so have all the other clubs and progression is really hard to measure against you know, you look at the teams that come up; they have suddenly have hundred and twenty million quid to spend, um, and we and we don't because just because we've been in the Premier League for a period of time, and our wage bill is what it is, and our expenditures what it is, and all of a sudden you you see t- clubs being promoted like Wolves, who can spend big on really really talented players, and they'd already done that the season before, taking a risk, but it was a risk of, sp- of being fifteen million quid over budget, knowing that if they get promoted. That's wiped out and they've got 100 million quid on top of it. so it's really tough to measure progress for a club like us. So I've, I think I'm sitting on a the fence there, but that's that's what I say.
0: Well I'm just gonna leave that that comment by saying about a particular Brighton fan Belend that keeps I, 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 I don't know what possesses <laughs> I don't know what possesses fans from other clubs to spend their time looking at the Twitter feed of um, a podcast of another team. but if you've got that much time in your hands fair enough, but he was saying, uh, you you lot of shit, you only ended up um four points above us last season you've got a five year head start on us um well we 've managed to stay in the Premier League for six seasons, which is something that most teams don't manage to do and even when they do like stoke there 's only a matter of time before you can just sink down that that plug hole and go um and really. All you can do is play for the Everton Cup, play for for seventh and get that beat in Europe, because you're not going to get in the top six. That's what Wolves are trying to do. Um, but essentially you're talking about six seasons where the club has gone from what it was in 2010 to total financial stability. Nobody's worried about the Americans going because it, it it's still gonna be financially stable. So from from the owner's point of view, really, the club's doing what it what it should do. For for us We'd like to see more passion, that kind of stuff. When people say playing for the shirt, you know, it's generic stuff. It doesn't mean anything really. Um, But if we had games where we were properly pushing, as we did yesterday, I can't really fault it. I I don't know what more progression you'd you'd want. And if you're talking about the Champions League, then I I think you're either a little bit drunk or, or probably sort of lost in this... Premier League fantasy that, that 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 just won't happen anytime soon. It may happen one day, but it's not going to happen now. Um, so, if we go forward to uh, another comment from Andrew James Hepburn, we have attacking options all over the field, yet we rarely attack on mass. Opponents out with the top six outside the top six would struggle without attacking options. So how does Roy change the defensive mindset that he's instilled in the team? And I think what Angie's trying to say there is how have we ended up looking so defensive when we've got so many flair players? Um, and to an extent, I think we've already covered that in that that's clearly the way that Hodgson plays. Um, and when you first come into a team that's conceded however many goals we did in the first seven games last season without scoring, uh, that'll be that'll be the first thing you do. You go all on it. You go respecting the point. Um, it could be an argument that he's been doing that for too long now, but you know, there are days when those flair players come through. It's just that flair players don't tend to do it week in, week out, unless they're really top quality players.
2: I think, I mean, first of all, you're, you're absolutely right to, to remind people of the number of goals we were conceding when Roy joined us. Um, and I think conceding goals is infinitely more dangerous than not scoring quite as many as you'd like. Um, so what what Andrew's saying is true. We've we've got some very very good attacking options, and that many other clubs would be jealous of. Um, and I think I have to agree that we don't make the best use of them. I think part of that is we we struggle to identify, you know, like well how you know, how best to use someone like Wilfred Zaha, because we we don't do the right things. But it's very difficult to know <laughs> what the right things are game to game. We know teams are gonna. Uh, double up on him that's the correct way to say it not the way DR says it so teams teams will double up on him and um but we can't fight that natural reaction of the team and if again, if you look at the analysis of how we play when wilfred zahars on the pitch wherever he is on that pitch that's where the majority of our attacking focus is so it does become almost something that hinders us by having that that level of talent that sort of that that player who everyone looks to it it becomes something that stops us being at attacked uh, on mass, and and again, I suppose, deaf defining what attacking on mass is. I certainly agree that we need to pick and choose moments where we get more people forward, because let's face it, you know, throughout the course of a game, the you know, people throw out the term game management, and that's really what we're talking about here. Game management is about recognizing that whatever you've predicted will happen as you prepared for a match. You know something different is happening. You're not creating the chances you want, or the the other your opponent is getting in more. So I think what we don't do enough is adjust how we're playing to get that that attacking talent on the ball more in the right areas. And I think if that's what Andrew's saying, I agree. And if the question is what do we do to change it, that's that's the tough part. That's the real tough part. For me, it's about. It's, I keep saying it's about taking more risks and getting more bodies forward. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm I'm right. Because for all I know, we get more bodies forward, we take more risks and we keep losing games.
0: So essentially, an hour into this pod, what we've come to the conclusion is there's a few things wrong, uh, but we as fans are not quite sure how to fix them. Uh, excellent. Right. I think we will wrap it up pretty much there. Um, thanks to Sam for producing. Uh, and she has wanted to point out perhaps the most important thing of the pod. Um the day of recording today, seventeenth of March, is uh, Saint Gertrude of Nivelles' uh, national day. It's, it's it's not just it's not just about the plastic paddies and weatherspoons with the stupid Guinness hats. Um, it's the patron saint of cats. So if you are a cat lady, a cat man, um, perhaps thinking about getting another cat, today's the day to cat. Sorry, sorry cat gender neutral. Cat gender neutral. Yeah, get get yourself another. Get, go online today. Go on the go on the Battersea uh, Dogs and Cats Home get yourself a cat. there's no better day for it um personally i'm not going to do that because i've got kids and they're enough of a pain in the ass as it is um right so as i say as i brought, said at the start of the show um if you could vote for us in the uh, football blogging awards that would be absolutely amazing uh we could see ourselves at some fancy do somewhere um that i refuse to pay any money towards going to but we'll turn up anyway um if you're not into that, then please carry on giving us a five-star review on iTunes and whatever. People have been doing that, and it's helped so much with listening figures. Um, Love Sport is back on Tuesday, 7 till 9. Does anyone know who is going to be on there for that? DR and Nick, I right. guess. Maybe okay. me. Excellent stuff. So I'm sure they'll be dissecting more, and maybe DR can talk about his Elvis Presley worries a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so get voting or get subscribing or uh, rate us five-star. That would be excellent. Uh, Keep an eye on all our socials. uh, Add yourself to them if you haven't before. And uh, keep checking out the website, backofthenest.com. Articles keep going up there. Uh, We're covering the ladies' team. Chewy's doing an excellent job of that. And we'll keep getting him on when there's games. Other than that, thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. And we will be back with uh, the review pod after the Huddersfield game.
1: Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.